0: Awesome. How many of you guys liked Indiana Jerry? Yeah. Don't don't miss your opportunity to get a picture with him after service right out here. That's not a real thing, but I figured if I say it, maybe he'll do it. You never know. Show up. See if Indiana Jerry comes. Um, Hey, my name is Michael Amituzo. I'm the student pastor here at our Carmel campus, and I have been given the opportunity and the privilege to share with all of you what the students uh, here at Genesis Church have been up to all summer long, specifically our middle school uh, ministry and our high school ministry. And so, I just want to share a little bit about that with you. Every summer, we take middle schoolers and high schoolers on a week long conference. Um, one in June for our high schoolers called Move, and one in uh, July called Mix for our middle schoolers. And the reason that we love taking students on these conferences is because they're put on by CIY, which stands for Christ in Youth, and they are all about calling students uh, to Christ and into a life of kingdom work through the local church. And at Genesis, we love conferences like Move and Mix because they are a lot of fun, but even more importantly, uh, because it's often a catalyst for radical life change for students. For a lot of students who go on these conferences, they'll make a first-time commitment to follow Jesus, uh, or they'll recommit their lives to him that week. Uh, some of them will hear a call into ministry, full-time ministry for the first time. But one thing is for sure, every student's going to hear a clear representation of the gospel and an invitation into kingdom work. And I just want to take a moment and, and read a couple notes. There's a couple students who shared their experience with me, and they said, I can share this with you. Uh, this is one of the middle school students. He says, Mix was incredibly moving, uh, an incredibly moving experience. God showed me that he is very real to all people in all ages. Even all of us confused teenagers. It allowed me to see that no matter how many mistakes I make, Jesus is always there for me. I've experienced a very personal and life-giving relationship with Jesus and have seen many lives moved through this camp. The worship was unlike anything I've ever felt, like the Spirit of God flowing freely through the room. It was an amazing experience, something I will never forget. The most powerful thing I experienced there, other than the major body odor. That is very real with middle schoolers. I just, if I could explain to you right now the amount of, well, the smells. Anyway, it's fine. So that's real. He's speaking the truth here. Um, Was that, but also the fact that God is for me and for you and for everyone. Here's what one of our high schoolers had to say. That move, Jesus was in fact moving. He influenced me and my friends to not only expand our knowledge about him, but also lead us towards the life that is for him. He showed us that if we lead, love and live like him that we can bring more people to him and this affected me i was affected so much that i rededicated my life to him and his ministry i walked through a door that represented my rededication in order to show myself and others my confidence in jesus and my devotion to him for all of my life i went to move and now i am a kingdom worker for jesus these are just a couple examples of the reasons why we go on these conferences. And a little bit later uh, in our service, we're going we're gonna to celebrate baptisms, not just here at our campus, but also at our Noblesville campus. And some of the students who, who were baptized in first service and are being baptized in our second service, more specifically at Noblesville in our second, they are being baptized because of their experiences at Move and Mix, which is just something incredible and something that we can be celebrating today with them. And I just want to take a moment um, for parents who are in the room of middle schoolers and high, or high schoolers or both, that if your student is not um, plugged in to a spiritual community, I want to invite you um, and, and invite your students to be a part of GSM, our Genesis Student Ministry, um, because this these conferences, they're really great. But these students come back from these these kind of mountaintop experiences, and they need people who are surrounding them, people who came with them on that, and to encourage them, and to challenge them, and say, hey, you said these things at this conference, that you wanted to do this differently. and, and I'm a living example of, of that change. My, my, the reason I'm in student ministry, my passion for that is because I was that student. I was that student who had leaders and who had pastors who poured into me. I had leaders and pastors who saw the call that I had uh, into ministry, that call that God put on my life, and they affirmed it. And I had peer-to-peer relationships with other students in a small group community where we challenged one another. And many of those relationships, they still exist today. Uh, like I, I, just, I was just on the phone less than a week ago with one of my friends from that small group. And he's talking about, he's about to step into ministry as a, as a student pastor. And we were just talking through some different things. And so I want that for your students. The reason GSM exists is to partner with you, parents. It's to partner with you on this disciple-making journey uh, and to to come alongside your kids and to encourage them and for them to have that community as well. And so I want to invite you to that. You can can come on out, students, tonight. We're going to be meeting from 4.30 to 6 for our middle school ministry and from 6.30 to 8.30 for our high school ministry. Well, I'm really excited about today because we're going to take the theme from uh, our our summer conferences, and I'm going to share that with you today. The theme for this year was Jesus for all, forever, and, and it comes right out. It comes from the passage John 3:16. Many of you in the room are like, "Oh, John 3:16." You just said the verse in in your head. You know the verse really well. It's probably one of the uh, most uh, popularized and well-known verses. But what you may have forgotten about this verse um, or uh, may not remember is that this verse actually surfaces during a dialogue, a dialogue between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And we're going to look at that story today. But before we do, uh, I'd like to pray this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, I I thank you um, for all that you are. God, we just take a moment to recognize that you are holy. You are holy, holy, holy. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to move this morning. Would you speak to the hearts of each person in this room today? God, in whatever whatever way um, we need to hear from you today. And I pray that we would take a posture of listening. We'd set aside other distractions right now, and we'd listen for your voice. What do you have to say to us in these next few moments? Holy Spirit, would you speak through me today? And we pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you today, you can pull those out or your phone and turn to John chapter 3. That is where we will be today. And while you're turning there, let's talk about Nicodemus. Who is this Nicodemus? Nicodemus uh, was a Pharisee, and Pharisees were the religious rulers of that time, which means Nicodemus was well-educated in Jewish law, and he was likely a really bright individual. Um, and if you've ever read through the Gospels before, then you probably know a thing or two about Pharisees. Uh, and you probably know that the Pharisees were not Jesus's biggest fan. Uh, they were not too fond of Jesus. And they thought they thought Jesus was a heretic, which is really just a fancy word for someone who doesn't agree with you. Jesus taught things and he did things that did not sit well with the Pharisees. They were not uh, a fan um, of, of Jesus. But I do want to pause for a moment and note something that and if you've grown up in the church, you'll probably agree with me in this: that often the Pharisees get painted kind of as the enemy, and these horrible people who didn't like Jesus. And um, but the reality is, they were they were they were people who loved God, and they were they were trying to help hold other people to those standards. Um, but they really were just regular people like you and me. They were regular people like you and me who struggled with friend foe syndrome, like we all do. Many of you are probably wondering what on earth friend-foe syndrome is. you like, I've never heard of that. And that's because I just made it up. But I want you to, I want you to hang with me because we, we had this analogy uh, over the summer. And, and I want to I kind of use that to, to give you an idea of what this friend-foe syndrome looks like um, in, this, in the Pharisees' lives. They, they, they struggled with um, kind of these two lists of people. Where they would categorize people who people who measured up to their standards would, would kinda go in, in one corner and then there'd be people who just who didn't. Or maybe an easier way to put it, it would be they had pull this out. I gotta do all this with one hand now. A friend bucket and a foe bucket. In the friend bucket went all the people that they liked and they loved and they trusted and were like them. And in the foe bucket were the people, well, that they didn't trust or that didn't measure up to their standards. And so for Pharisees, it probably looks something like this. They would put maybe their fellow colleagues in the friend bucket. But Samaritans, we don't associate with Samaritans, foe bucket. Or their Pharisee small group that meets every Wednesday night in the friend bucket, Right. You can laugh. It's okay. We can have fun today. But Jesus, faux bucket. But we do this too, right? We categorize people. If we're being honest with ourselves, we categorize people. Uh, If you're like me, your spouse, my wife, goes in the friend bucket. If your spouse doesn't go in the friend bucket, we should have a conversation. Um, My firstborn child goes in the friend bucket, while my secondborn child – I'm kidding (laughs) – He's just difficult right now, okay? He really is. Our family dog, though, right now, I'm telling you, we're not on good terms. He, he's in the faux bucket. I work at a place where my coworkers go in the friend bucket, and I'm thankful for that. But for some of you, that might go in the faux bucket, right? Or how about your boss? Like Jerry, for me, is pretty good most of the time. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Jerry's great. I would put this in my friend bucket. But for some of you, you might categorize your boss as being a faux Colts fans, friend bucket, right? Patriots fans, we already know where that goes. Um, Thank you for the claps. Tom Brady, we don't really know what to do with him anymore. Bears fans, though, I just feel bad for them, so I put them in the friend's bucket. But kids, what about like the bully at school? Probably not going in your friend bucket, right? But the person maybe who pays you compliments, okay, friend bucket. Teachers, kids, Probably depends on what your class, some of you would say friend bucket. You like your teacher, what about coaches? Could be in the friend bucket. Some of you, maybe the reason you stopped playing sports was because you had a bad experience with a coach. What about parents? Please don't answer this out loud. you get yourself in a lot of trouble. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna put this in the friend bucket and suggest that you do the same thing with that. But the list goes on and on, right? And you might be actually thinking about some of these things in your head how you would categorize people and we may not like to admit it, but we're more like the Pharisees than we think. We we categorize people based on our standards or how people have treated us or past life experiences. But this man Nicodemus, I think he was starting to question this way of thinking and this way of living. I think he was he was wondering Um, If this was all there was, because while it wasn't unusual for a Pharisee to approach Jesus and challenge him with questions and try to discredit him in front of all of his followers and in front of the crowds, it was in fact unusual how Nicodemus approaches Jesus in this story and in this text today. If you have your Bibles and you turn to John 3, you can look at verse 2. John says that after dark one evening, he being Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. John reveals to us that Nicodemus approaches Jesus after dark. Now, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why someone might um, arrange a meeting after dark, and most of the time, I think it's for pretty shady reasons, no pun intended. But I don't think that that it was a shady, I don't think this was something shady that Nicodemus was up to. I do think he might have been trying to protect his reputation. I do think that he may not have wanted his fellow colleagues to know that he was meeting with this man, Jesus. Remember, the Pharisees don't like Jesus. But if you continue to read through uh, the rest of this verse, John also reveals that Nicodemus sees something different uh, in Jesus. He says, Rabbi, which means teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And if you're anything like me, when I was reading through this the past couple of weeks, I, I was tempted to think, oh, my, like Nicodemus knows something about Jesus. Like Nicodemus, maybe he knows that Jesus is the son of God. Uh, he, he's kind of saying, hey, God is all over you. There's something that's different about you. But, but I don't think that Nicodemus is clued in on this because if, you, if we look at this, we notice Nicodemus sees two things, that, that God sent him to teach and that God was with him. And so at best, Nicodemus saw Jesus as a prophet or he saw him as a great teacher, but not as the son of God. And this is important for us um, to understand because Nicodemus is not fully aware of why this man Jesus is here in front of him. The other thing that's interesting is it's almost as if Jesus knows why Nicodemus has approached him. Some scholars say that Nicodemus and Jesus may have had previous conversations before now, and that this is a continuation of those, but we don't know that for sure. But what we do know is that after Nicodemus approaches Jesus and says, hey, I I know that God sent you to teach. I know that God's with you. There's something that's different about you. But before G- Nicodemus asks any questions or says anything else, Jesus speaks and says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you know, Nicodemus, I think I know why you're here today. I think You might be wondering if there's more to life than all of this. You might be wondering, is this all there really is? Or am I missing out on something? And then Nicodemus responds to Jesus' kind of bizarre statement and says what we would all probably say. What? What, what What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again. What, what do you mean? But Jesus, and Nicodemus was doing something I think we often do when God speaks, is speaking about spiritual things. Nicodemus was processing this all in a literal sense, but Jesus wasn't speaking in a literal sense here. Jesus was speaking about spiritual things. Let me ask you all a question. How does a new life enter into our world today? It's not a trick question birth, right? You have to be born into this world. That's the only way a new life is going to enter into our physical world. And Jesus is saying in the same way, a child must be born uh, into a physical world. So it is if they want to be born in, if they want to inherit the kingdom of God, if they want um, to inherit um, this eternal kingdom that is spiritual, we have to be spiritually born again. He says it like this to Nicodemus, humans reproduce on, uh, only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to a spiritual life. Now, Nicodemus is still probably very confused. And if you read through the next several texts, you'll, uh, verses, you'll, you'll notice that. And Jesus finally and graciously and lovingly uh, uses an Old Testament analogy just a few verses later that he knows that Nicodemus would understand. And then out of that analogy... He goes into John 3:16, one of the most popular verses of all time. He says, Nicodemus, let me break it down for you. It's very simple. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in this one verse, Jesus reveals why God sent him. In this one verse, Jesus reveals the heart of God and the heart of the gospel, the good news of why he came. And, and he couldn't have explained it any more clearly. God sent his son for the whole world, for everyone, for all. Or did he? I have to wonder if Nicodemus fully understood what this teacher in front of him was saying in that moment. Because it's not unreasonable to assume that when, when Jesus said he came for all, Nicodemus heard the word most. Or when Jesus said God loved the world, Nicodemus heard my world. I mean, it's apparent that Nicodemus is having a really difficult time understanding this spiritual rebirth that Jesus was speaking of, and rightly so, but I have a hunch it may have been even more difficult for Nicodemus to believe that Jesus actually came for the entire world, that he literally came for everyone. One of the things that we have been learning as we've been studying through the Old Testament together as a church family is that the Jews were God's chosen people, right? The Jews were God's chosen people. And it was likely unthinkable for Nicodemus to wrap his mind around believing that Jesus literally came for everyone. I mean, how could God be for all? You, he, he can't possibly mean that. You mean God sent his son for our people, right? I mean, Jesus, you're a Jew. You came for, you came for us. That's what you're saying. But in the same way, I wonder if we do a similar thing when we read this common verse that we've seen many times. If we're really being honest with ourselves, do we even believe what John 3.16 seems to proclaim? I mean, we know what the verse says, but is it really possible? Could Jesus really be for all? When Jesus said, God so loved the world, did he really mean the entire world? Or was he referring to my world, the people I know the people that I love, the people that I trust. I mean, I know people who need God, sure, but how could God love the people who have hurt me? Or how could God love the people who have hurt the people that I love? I mean, sure, God came for my friends at school. They're not all great influences in my life, but they're not bad people. They just need Jesus. But the people who bully me, and they say hurtful things to me, and they say hurtful things to my friends, how could Jesus actually be for them? Surely he can't literally mean that he came for all. And you might shrug your shoulders at that and say, yeah, that's not me. But, but many of us in this room, whether we want to admit it or not, we carry around these buckets where we categorize people just as the Pharisees did, just as Nicodemus did, as if we decide who deserves God's love. And the unfortunate reality is that most of us are just too ashamed or we're, we're too stubborn or we're too prideful to admit that we do this with people at all. But the truth is that many of us do. And the problem with that way of thinking and that way of living is that Jesus didn't just come for you and your friends. He did, in fact, come for the bullies and the liars and the cheaters and the thieves and the murderers. And Jesus didn't just come for the people you love, and He didn't even just come for the people you like, He also came for the people you hate. I mean, let that sit in for a moment. Like, Jesus came for the people you despise and you hate. What it all boils down to is that Jesus came for people who think they have it all together in this life, and He came for the people who know that they don't have it together. Jesus came for the sinner. So what is a sinner? Who is a sinner? Well, Paul breaks it down really simple for us in Romans 3.23 when he says, Everyone, for everyone has sinned. He says that all have sinned. And then he goes on to define what sin is. He says it's simply anyone who falls short of God's standards. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. So here's the ugly truth about these buckets that we carry, just like the Pharisees and Nicodemus. We like to play God, whether we want to admit, admit it or not. We judge people by our own standards or how they've treated us. You, dis, you disagree with me or you hurt me or you stab me in the back. Like, you're out. You're in the foe bucket now. But Paul reminds us that it's not our standards that matter. It's God's standards. And so now we have a problem because everyone that we've categorized as friends and foes, it doesn't matter anymore. Because God says, you're all sinners. And everyone gets dumped into the same bucket. And don't forget to maybe put the most important person in there, the person we often forget ourselves. And now because all have sinned, everyone, everyone's fallen short of God's standards, Jesus, he either came for everyone or he came for no one. He either came for all or there's there's hope for, no, for nobody. There's no in-between here. So what do we do with this? If we're all sinners, if we've all fallen short of God's standards? Well, thankfully, in this conversation and dialogue with Nicodemus, Jesus doesn't stop at John 3.16. He goes on to the next verse, which is often forgotten, John 3.17, where he says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. In John 3.16, Jesus tells Nicodemus, here is is the hope of the world. Here is the hope for the entire world, for everyone, for all. And then in 3.17, Jesus reveals God's promise to the world. Here's God's promise to the world, that He didn't come just to condemn you, to judge you, to point out all of your failures and your mistakes and how you didn't measure up to his standards just to leave you with them. He came to save you from them. He came to offer a new life. You know, in in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate baptisms. And baptisms are this beautiful picture of someone going underneath the water to demonstrate and visualize someone dying to their old self and coming up out of the water, demonstrates their new life in Christ. And this is a wonderful physical example that we have been given to see this spiritual change, this transformation that's happening. And it's the transformation Jesus was trying to help Nicodemus understand. He was trying to help Nicodemus understand. Nicodemus, if you you want to experience the kingdom of God, if you want to truly live, you have to be born again. You're right, Nicodemus. There's more to life than all of this. There's more. And actually, Nicodemus, you're not even living yet. But you could experience that new life I'm talking about. But you have to put your, your faith and your trust in me. You have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. If we look back at Romans 3.23, Paul actually continues and he paints the rest of the picture for us. Take a look. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. And don't miss this last part. People are made right with God. People are born again. people can have new life with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life by shedding his blood for you, by shedding his blood for me, by shedding his blood for everyone. And so the truth is, Jesus did come for all, forever. But that promise is, of new life and being a born again. It's not given to everyone, but it's an invitation to everyone. Do you relate with Nicodemus today? I relate with Nicodemus. I'll be the first one to admit I categorize people like this in my life. Writing this message was a convicting thing for me, being reminded of the way that I put certain people in different boxes or categories of how much they deserve God's love or don't deserve it. Are you wondering if there's more to life than all of this? Are you wondering if there's, if there's something else if you're missing out? Because this story and this invitation that Jesus is offering Nicodemus, it's the same invitation he's offering you today, that you can move from death to new life, that you can be born again but you have to put your faith and you have to put your trust in Jesus, believing that he died for you to pay for your sins, that he rose again to conquer death. And if you want to be born again, and if you want this new life that Jesus was speaking of, this invitation, it's available for you today and it's available for you now. And all you have to do is believe. Now I'm gonna pray and we're gonna celebrate baptisms together. But if you want to respond to this invitation today, that you feel Jesus tugging at your heart this morning, you want to respond to that, all you have to do is put your faith and your trust in him. And I want to encourage you that if you're making that decision today, that you tell somebody else. Come tell me afterwards. There are people in this room who want to rejoice and to celebrate with you in this this encounter of moving from death to life. So don't keep it to yourself today, please. Come let us know. Let me pray. Father, I'm so incredibly thankful for your son, Jesus. Not only his life and his ministry on this earth and this conversation that we get a look at between him and Nicodemus, but more importantly, because he did come for all forever, that he gave his life so that we could have an abundant life. Father, I know how you work, and I trust that you are are speaking to each person in this room today in a way that they need to to hear from you, whether that's challenging challenging them to rethink the way that they look at other people, whether that's having a follow-up conversation with someone where they need to apologize or make things right, or whether they are just desperate for something Mm -hmm. beyond this life, something that can only come with a with a new birth. God, we thank you for your son. We celebrate you and we praise you because of him. And we pray all this in his name.